If you were here last week, uh, we read a prayer, or we made, um, what am I trying to say? We repeated some words of Jesus, and uh, that's always a good idea in the church. And so if you would go ahead and put that up, that first slide, um, I I want us to say that again. This is our creed. This is our um, summary of what God is expecting out of us when we leave. Jesus said there at the end, there is no commandment greater than these. So if you're searching, what, what does God want from me right now? This is the answer. So everything that we're going to say tonight uh, can be summarized in this. So um, I'll say it first, just like last week, and then we'll all say it together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Let's say that together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the church said, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. And open up your Bible to Revelation chapter 5. Uh, Chalobi is up here uh, like the, the police. He's going to correct everything that I am going to say. Uh, and uh, No, I thought it would be fun if, if we did this together. We're going to talk about uh, reconciliation. And I have never heard anyone with more passion and, uh, and, and more wisdom and insight and sharpness explain reconciliation, why it's important and why it's a beautiful thing, uh, than Chalobi. And so I just said, hey, instead of me just repeating everything that you said and taking credit for it, why don't you... Uh, just, uh, just say all those things. And so this way this is work. I'm going to say some forgettable things at the beginning. Shelby's going to say some real memorable things in the middle. And then I'm going to say more forgettable things in the end. Is that cool? <laughs> Revelation chapter 5. Uh, a little review. See, if, if you didn't get a listening guide, I think there's probably some out in the lobby. But you'll see on your listening guide uh, a review. The reason that we're talking about the kingdom of God here on Sunday nights for these four weeks is because Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. In fact, that was his summary message, uh, that he went around uh, preaching and teaching, repent for the kingdom of God is here. I hardly ever talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, You probably hardly ever think about the kingdom of God. Then we skip the other Gospels to get to the book of Acts and we see all that is happening in and through those first generation of Jesus followers and then we look at our lives and they're not anywhere in the same ballpark of being the the same. They're having extraordinary experiences. They're having great success with the Gospel and for us it's an uphill climb and I wonder if there is a connection. If they talked and thought and prayed more about God's kingdom than we are. And so maybe if there is a connection, I thought, well, let's talk, let's talk about some of these things uh, for a couple of weeks. We talk, talked about the kingdom of God and the United States of America. Uh, last week, we talked about the kingdom of God and the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And today we're talking about the kingdom of God and ethnicity. You see in your listening guide, the kingdom of God is whoever, wherever, Whenever Jesus' lordship is acknowledged and obeyed. The kingdom of God is whoever, wherever, whenever Jesus' lordship is acknowledged and obeyed. In Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the New Testament, there is the present age. That's the age that we're living in now. Sometimes it's referred to as the kingdom of this world. Uh, Jesus will return and then will begin the age to come. 
We know that the age to come is also referenced uh, as the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and eternal life. So Jesus uses those four terms synonymously. Um, We also know that Satan is the ruler of this present age. That's why things like El Paso and Dayton happen. Uh, That's why all of our systems are broken, even though they may start out with good intent. Uh, Usually they're broken and corrupted because Satan wants to make sure that everything is broken and corrupted in this world. But when Jesus returns, there's going to be an exchange of leadership. Now, the good news is the next sentence in your listening eye. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, eternal life, and the age to come are here and now for all those who hope in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He made that incredibly clear. So did the Apostle Paul, that God lets us live in the kingdom now, even though the kingdom is not here fully. So when we gather together as followers of Jesus, this is what we're going to talk about next week, it should be an experience of the kingdom of God. So if all people walk away with is a taste for church, we have really missed the boat. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to church. I want to come every Sunday and and get a little preview, a little taste of the age to come. Uh, And that's what our gatherings should be like. We have great power and and possibilities when we pray because we're not just citizens of this age. We are citizens of the age to come. So we've talked about politics. Uh, Last week, I took a little run at the Pledge of Allegiance, which was super fun. Um, and, uh, uh, but what I'm talking, what we are talking about tonight, um, has, I think the most, um, capacity to upset and bother, um, because, um, there are invisible principalities of darkness, uh, that have made it their agenda that there would be racial injustice in this age. Uh, so we're not just bumping into ideologies or politics or the way I was raised, uh, we are bumping in tonight invisible forces that are just as active uh, in, in, in behind the scenes um, as anything we can see. And so if you find yourself a little offended tonight, it could be because I said something inappropriate, or really Chalobi said something inappropriate, <laughs> which I'll cover for at the end. Um, or it could be that there is an invisible wrestling happening in you. And so if you find yourself a little bit offended, I just want to ask you to sit with it for a couple of weeks and then email me. My email address is curtis at bayoucityfellowship.com. I don't know Chalobi's email address, so don't email him. Uh, Curtis at bayoucityfellowship.com. This is my part. This is my part for the thing. This is my turn for all the jokes. All right, let's jump into it. You see, the first thing in your listening guide is Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, we talked a little bit about the book of Revelation last week. Remember, uh, for us, it's kind of the end of the Bible. Uh, and, And by the time you get there, you're either doing one of two things. You've either read through the entire scripture and it's the home stretch. And the I'm not a marathoner. I don't ever plan to be a marathoner. But what I understand by listening and reading about it is that home stretch is just a blinding adrenaline. And your just whole goal is to get across the finish line. I don't think in the home stretch, that last push, they're really taking in the sights and sound. They're really paying attention to who's lining it up because the finish line is so 
close. So when you've been reading through the New Testament or the entire scripture, by the time you get to the Revelation, it's just full on in. And so you're dragon beast. I got there somewhere. But it's really hard to understand. Or we do the opposite and we just kind of swoop in and, uh, and try to take a piece here and there. But the book of Revelation was not just close to the finish line. It was actually a letter uh, given to seven specific churches. And the Apostle John gets a tour of things to come from an angel so that he could write that letter. And we still have that letter and we're able to learn from it. But that letter was written to seven persecuted churches. So under great duress, Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 7 are written. We already read from Revelation chapter 5. Let's read from Revelation chapter 7. It's also in your listening guide. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, every nation, every tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So remember, uh, persecuted Christians, John gets a tour of things to come to encourage them so that they will keep on enduring in Jesus' sake so that they'll win the prize. And, and the picture that John gets is a, is a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-language vision of heaven. And I think it's important that we remember uh, these were not, to use our vernacular, uh, woke cultures that Revelation was written in. Um, these are revolutionary ideas that God is presenting to his people. In fact, when you read the scripture, there is a wrestling with ethnicity and, 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 and how you get along and how you think of other people. The Bible talks about racism quite a bit. God's people were victims of it. God's people were guilty of it. But here at the end, he says, this is what is coming. A diverse and unified kingdom. And again, he's not just saying this to people who are hungry to hear it. He's saying this to Christians who are suffering. Now, notice that it's um, diversity that's built around nationality, around tribes, around peoples and languages. And, and that's why we're using ethnicity instead of race, although we'll use both uh, terms tonight. Um, because when I think about race, I think that I am white. Uh, but it's clear that there are no colors mentioned here. There are ethnicities, there are ethnic groups uh, that we're all going to be representing. Um, but I, I think for most of my life, didn't know that I had a, a, actual ethnicity. That's something that somebody else had, uh, but I didn't have. But this Christmas, my parents gave me one of those heritage DNA, you know, swab things. You stick it in the mail. I'm sure the, the results are incredibly accurate. But uh, I actually brought mine to share, if you don't mind. Um, I don't know if I'm super proud of it, but uh, I'm 53% Scandinavian, so uh, I have the blue eyes. Next week, I'm going to have a blonde toupee just to <laughs> take, it over, take it over the top, celebrate my culture. Uh, Irish, Scottish, Welsh, uh, Iberian, North African, and two more eth ethnicities. I can't remember what they are uh, now. But I've gone my whole life, and I didn't know that I had ancestors from Scandinavian. Um, you know, and so maybe that's the culture I'm going to be representing around the throne. I don't think there's going to be a section for white-skinned people, 
We're just all there together. And, and, and you have a ethnicity. Some of you are very in touch with that. You know the story of your ethnic culture. Uh, and some of you are learning tonight, just like I have recently, that you have a, a history. And it's important because God thinks it's important. Now, you remember there was one people and then the Tower of Babel happened in, in Genesis. They, they built a tower uh, so that, because they were afraid. Right? They were afraid they were losing their identity. It's not relevant at all uh, for today's culture. They were afraid that they were going to lose their identity. And so they built this big tower because they thought if we could build a tower to heaven, then nobody will ever be able to shake us and, 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 and separate us. And so what God does is he comes and separates everybody. Now, what's interesting is a lot of the scripture in the kingdom of God is unwinding a lot of what happens in the first few chapters of Genesis. So it is possible, because we all started with Adam and Eve, that God could just take us back there. But he doesn't. In Revelation, he leaves those ethnic identities, our histories and our cultures, because he thinks they're beautiful. He leaves our languages. So if if we're going to take our ethnicity into the kingdom, then we should know it now. You should know your history. Right? If you don't mind, just put your seatbelt on just here for a second. Um, everybody warned. Right? Um, so when at a rally, we say, send her back. I don't think if you're, this is, remember in the, I'm digressing here. Uh, break the tension. Um, uh, in uh, the scripture, the Apostle Paul, uh, he's writing, 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 and then he, he kind of steps out of it, and he's saying, this is not a command, this is sort of just my opinion. He doesn't say it like that, so just yeah. so stepping out here, this is just my opinion. I don't think that if you are a Jesus follower, you need to be shouting, send her back, for three primary reasons. It's okay, just everybody be cool. Uh, three reasons. <laughs> Uh, reason number one, can you imagine Jesus doing that? Just think about it for just a second. Can you imagine uh, Jesus saying that, shouting that, exclaiming that? Just think. And if you can't, then you can't do it. If you were here this morning, Jesus is Lord. If he wanted to right now, he could say to you, this is a repeat of this morning, Pakistan. And you better be there as fast as is wise. Or it's hard for you to consider yourself a follower of Christ. And I'm preaching to the choir. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians, not that I have attained this. I don't have any plane tickets. I've not. This is my way of bringing it up to Amanda right here in the front row. I want to move to Pakistan, right? I don't want to move there any more than you do. But he is Lord. We say yes, he fills in the rest. So if you can't imagine Jesus saying, send her back, send her back, send her back, then you can't say it either. That's reason number one. Reason number two, because unless you are a Native American... You got somewhere to go. <laughs> North America not on my heritage DNA. Reason number three. Because Jesus is Lord, when he ascended into heaven, he gave his mission that he was living and embodying doing to his followers. Part of that mission, this is how the Matthew's gospel ends, is that uh, we would go into where? All the world, 
baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. In, also in the, gospel, um, the Gospels, Jesus says that his return, the end, the transition from this age to the age to come won't happen until all of those ethnic groups around the world, based on location and tribes and religions and all of those things, until they hear the good news of God's kingdom through Christ, the end is not going to come. So we have this mission. And that's why it might be that God would send you to Pakistan because there are people in Pakistan who don't have any idea about what we're talking about tonight. And Romans 10 says, how are they going to hear if no one goes and preaches to them? We can't just wish the gospel into the mountains of Kashmir on the edge of India and Pakistan and hope it just somehow ends up there. Because he's handed us that mission, then we should be saying and living two things. Either send me there or send them here. Now, I'm not talking about as American. I know that's super complicated. I'm talking about as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are my two options. Send me there or send them here so they can hear what we have already heard. Okay, now back into what I was talking about. That was Chalobi's part. I was just the mouthpiece (laughs) for him. We want to see people, again, let's look at Revelation together, these passages again. We want to see people, and especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to see people the way that they are described in these Revelation passages. Let's start in verse 9 of chapter 5. And they sang a new song saying, you are, this, they're saying this to Jesus, the lamb who was saying, slain. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then in Revelation 7, verse 9, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing there before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches uh, in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So listen to how this diverse group of people are described. They've been purchased, uh, they are a kingdom, they are priests, and they will reign on earth with God and they're wearing white robes and they're singing praises to God and holding palm branches. We want to grow into seeing especially other brothers and sisters because that's who this is talking about with that filter. Even though we're from different cultures, even though we have different histories, if they're in the the kingdom, they are a kingdom and they've been purchased by the sacrifice of Jesus and uh, they are going to reign with God and he's making them priests to serve in God's kingdom. Instead of seeing one another through stereotypes, instead of even seeing one another through our own personal experiences, we see them through the lens of Scripture. Because when we use this lens to see people, people made in the image of God, people that Jesus died for, then we don't treat people according to our fear. Anytime you treat someone according to your fear, you cannot treat them like Jesus. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy chapter 1 says. Right? So we think back to the beginning of World War II, or at least America's beginning. We took Japanese people and we put them in camps. Why? Because we were afraid of what 
uh, of who they were. And, and maybe they were uh, a, a part of some greater scheme. And what's interesting is I'd encourage you to go and do some research about what the church was saying and doing at that time that Japanese people were being moved into these camps. You may be able to stumble upon some resources. I could not find anything. Probably because the church was not saying anything. Because it's easier to treat people according to our fears than it is to treat them in the way that God would, would have us treat them. But we cannot treat people like Jesus if we're treating them according to our fears. Next thing in your listening guide, it is possible, even probable, to have a deep love for Christ and at the same time be blind to racial injustice and our role in it. It is possible, even probable, to have a deep love for Christ and at the same time be blind to racial injustice in our role in it. You may have heard of the famous preacher in the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards. God used him in incredible ways here in the United States of America. Uh, He was a catalyst for a great awakening in the history of America. And if you listen to preachers like me, sometimes we'll hearken back to those days when whole towns were coming under the conviction of God's really uh, some uh, compelling stories and a good target for us to to pray towards. Uh, But Jonathan Edwards was a slave owner. And in, uh, you can go to Yale. They have a museum type thing. You can also find this recorded on, on the internet. Uh, they have in their possession, because Jonathan Edwards has a really strong connection to Yale, they have in their possession a sermon that he wrote on the back of a receipt. You know what the receipt was? Of a slave girl that he purchased. One of the greatest preachers in the history of the United States prepared a sermon on the back of a receipt that he paid for a human being made in the image of God. You can have a deep and real and authentic love for Jesus and be blind to racial injustice. And, and not just racial injustice, but my role in it. And I say that as someone who has had a deep love for Jesus. And I hope that God sees it as authentic. And, and I, at the same time, have been blind to racial injustice. But the good news, you'll see this in your listening guide, and Shalobi's going to talk about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Thank you for offending everybody on my behalf, Curtis. I appreciate it. It's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough subject, to be honest, this idea of reconciliation. Because it's, it's something that's so ingrained in our psyche. It's, it's part of the psychology of the United States of America. It's part of the psychology of the Western world. Um, but it is a topic that you and I cannot escape from. Because the truth of the matter is, the, the reconciled kingdom is central, really, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Curtis just read that, the text here, but, but really what Paul is trying to say in this text, he's trying to say two things. He's saying that it is through Christ and the work that happened on the cross that you and I... Why is this sideways? Is, is, there, is that just the I angle? Got, 
I don't know. It just like okay. It All right. Yeah, I, I didn't. Do you. I know these people you. are more important on this. Are these the reconciled people over here? Okay. But but what Paul is trying to say is he's saying two things. He's saying that through the work of the cross of Jesus Christ, God has reconciled us to him. Or he, really, he has reconciled himself to us through the work of Jesus Christ. But in addition to that, we, you and I are called to the ministry of reconciliation because God wants his people to be reconciled. And it's very, very important that you and I take this moniker of reconciliation because of something that Jesus says that's very, very provocative in John chapter 13. We're going to get to John chapter 13 because we're going through the book uh, of John. But, but Jesus says something that's really, really provocative because it has an impact to the church, to you and I, the believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says it around verse 34, 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you, John chapter 13. He says, love one another. And the reason I give you this commandment to love one another is so that the world might see that you are my disciples. In other words, Jesus is saying that the litmus test for you and I to prove to, not only to the world but to Jesus that we are in fact his disciples is the love that we have. It is the unity through reconciliation that we have for one another. Which, which means that the opposite is also true. That a people and a church that don't pursue reconciliation, true discipleship in Jesus Christ, suffer from three things. The, the, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that not only is there fellowship at risk, but their testimony is also at risk. But the most important thing, and in addition to the fellowship and the testimony, is that their salvation, whether or not they truly understand what salvation truly means, is also at risk. Because Jesus says that you shall know those who are mine by their reconciliation. You shall know those who are mine by their ability to love one another. Not by their ability to agree on certain things. Not by their ability to vote the same on certain issues. But by their ability to love one another. The church in the United States has been silent on the issue of reconciliation because it hits us at home. We as a church in the United States have not led in the issue of reconciliation because the world has seeped into the church. And because the world has suffered from the sin of segregation, we have allowed that sin to seep into the church. And that is why the church has been silent for all these years. The church was mostly silent during slavery. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther King, when he sat in a jail in Birmingham in 1963, he penned a letter from Birmingham. And the reason he penned that letter was in response to the critique that he had received from eight ministers of the gospel. Martin Luther King was, re was leading a nonviolent pro protest because of racism and the conditions in Birmingham. And the church told him that he had no business protesting racial, racial injustice. And so Martin Luther King pens this letter to the church and he, say, he says, I don't understand what the issue is because the issue of racism is not a supremacy issue. It's not a culture issue. It is a church issue. And the reason it is a church issue because it's the church that has been called to be reconciled not only to God, but to one another. Mm -hmm. 
Jesus has always spoken about the truth of reconciliation. Jesus showed us when he came on earth that not only was salvation important to God, but human dignity was also important to God. That's why in John chapter 114, the Bible tells us, it says, Jesus was the reincarnation, or he was the image of God. And what we beheld from Jesus were two things. It was grace and it was truth. The grace of Jesus Christ, actually let me start with this. The truth of Jesus Christ represented the heart of God and wanting mankind to be saved. But the grace of Jesus Christ represented the heart of God and wanting mankind to have dignity. And that's why, if you recall, the miracles of Jesus Christ were usually structured like this. The Bible typically tells us that Jesus Christ was filled with compassion. And because he was filled with compassion, he performed a miracle. Jesus' ministry, his representation of the grace of God was in response to the heart of God. And the heart of God was always compassionate towards the dignity of the people that he created. God has always been a God that has been concerned about human suffering. He's always been a God that's been concerned about human condition. And he's always been a God that's been concerned about human justice. And if God has been concerned about that and continues to be concerned about that, the church needs to be concerned about that. The Bible is very, very clear that God is not only a God of righteousness, but he's also a God of Justice. And not just justice for himself, but justice for the creation that he created in the image of himself. In fact, throughout the Bible, the, the, the Bible typically marries this idea of justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness to God have always shared a common bond. That's why David says in Psalms 89, he says this, God's righteousness and God's justice are the foundation for his throne. In fact, if you recall, and we're very much aware because we have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, it is God's justice that was fulfilled on the cross in the work of Jesus Christ that allowed for God's righteousness to be imparted. Without God's justice being fulfilled, God's righteousness would never have been imparted to us. And therefore, you and I who have received God's righteousness should pursue God's justice in this earth. God has always been concerned about justice, and he's always been concerned about righteousness. But here's the problem that the church has suffered. The Western church in the United States has suffered this. We have been conditioned to think more on, in terms of righteousness than justice. We have been taught and we've indoctrinated, we've been indoctrinated to think about personal conviction as it relates to righteousness, and not as it relates to God's justice. And so that the teachings of the church have always focused on what it means to be righteous in God's eyes. And we've ceded the responsibility of justice to the people who are unchurched. Why? Because once again, the church has realized that if it is going to pursue true biblical gospel, it needs to pursue both righteousness and justice. But, but righteousness is pretty easy. Because righteousness just demands that you and I go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, thus saith the Lord, you need to be called unto salvation and allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. But justice requires that we participate in the reconciliation effort of the kingdom. Justice calls you and I to act. Righteousness calls you and I to speak. The church has been happy about speaking, but the church has not been moved to action. And so it's easy for the church to talk about righteousness, but it's hard for the church to pursue 
justice. But God has always been concerned about both righteousness and justice. That's why he says in Proverbs 21, 3, he says this, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Mm -hmm. But what has happened is the Western idea of theology has created this dichotomy where we, on one side, we have a people who recognize the need for justice and who recognize the need that somebody needs to do something about human dignity. But these people have never been introduced to the author of righteousness. And on the other side, you have a church that espouses righteousness but is afraid to pursue justice. And so the two of them collide and all they do is point fingers at each other. One tells the other person that they're misguided and the other person tells the other person that they're hypocritical. And the reason that both of them are misguided and, hi and hypocritical because righteousness without justice is incomplete and it's insufficient. It does not represent the full gospel of Jesus Christ. The full gospel of Jesus Christ has always spoken to man's righteousness and God's justice. Both have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is telling us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He's saying God has reconciled us to himself so that we can take on the ministry of reconciliation. What God has done for us this way, you and I are supposed to take out this way in how we interact with people. Because the full scope of the gospel of Jesus Christ addresses reconciliation as it pertains to both righteousness with God and justice and human dignity. A person of true faith understands this. He understands that you and I are not only called to espouse righteousness, but we're called to pursue justice because we are called to pursue those people who have been made or created in God's image. I understand I'm speaking to the choir, but I know that you and I can have a little bit of help, right? Because, because this is what it, what it looks like. We, are, we, we recognize that we need to do something about it. But sometimes we just don't really know what it is or how it is that we can pursue both righteousness and justice. I, I, I stole this, this concept and I created my own little uh, analogy. I have a, a sheet of paper here and if I told you that this sheet of paper is black, what would go through your mind? So, nothing. <laughs> Some of you might think I am making things up. Some of you think, might think that I'm a little crazy. Some of you might think that I'm trying to instigate some stuff. But how many would take the time to say, well, maybe I'm not looking at it from his vantage point. What would happen if the church decided that it wanted to take the time to see things from other people's vantage point. See, the culture that has killed the church is the culture that we've, 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 we've inherited from the world. Is nobody is willing to look at other people's vantage point. But the Bible tells us that if you and I need to be a people of true reconciliation, we need to get out of our comfort zone and start looking at things from other people's vantage point. Because it's in looking at people's vantage point that we start to gain an understanding. It's in looking at people's vantage point that we start to gain a different kind of perspective. And so that we, we become a people who are not just sympathetic, but we become empathetic. Yeah. 
Because when we become empathetic, we learn how to carry one another's burdens. That is what the church needs. It doesn't need any more sympathy. The world doesn't need any more thoughts and prayers. The world needs empathy. And empathy starts by looking at other people's vantage point and saying, could it be that the reason I understand things the way I understand things is because I've only been looking at this side of the issue. Maybe I need to start asking my brother and sister what it looks like on the other side of the issue. Maybe I need to start demanding a reconciliation that doesn't look like certain people coming into the places that we're comfortable with and assimilating with us. Maybe it doesn't look like I need to pursue a certain type of religion that says, I will meet you, but it has to be on my terms. Maybe I need to come around and start seeing what it is that my brothers and sisters are seeing on the other side. Because when I start seeing that, then I can truly start to take the steps to be truly reconciled. We are afraid of our differences. Because the world has taught us to be afraid of our differences. But Curtis already told us that God created us with our differences. Because our differences show the completeness of God's beauty. The completeness of God's tapestry is found in our differences. It's found in our diversity of culture, our diversity of thought, our diversity of social economic status, our diversity of race. God knew what he was doing when he made you and I different. The, the, the lie that, the, the, lie that the, the, the world has told us is to say that we don't recognize diversity. I've heard it being said a lot amongst believers. They say, I don't see color. That is a lie because you see color and I see color. The reason we say that is because we're afraid to acknowledge that we see color. Because we're afraid that color is bad. Because that's what society has conditioned us to think, that color is bad. But God created color and diversity because it is good. It represents the full tapestry of his glory. And so you and I are supposed to pursue diversity because God elevates diversity because diversity glorifies God and it is in our and, and is in our recognizing that diversity glorifies God that you and I are truly able to glorify God and to be reconciled with one and another the world will never be reconciled until Jesus comes but the world is looking to the church because the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God is here and now in your heart and my heart the world is never going to truly see reconciliation unless it sees us in the church. But the church has ceded that responsibility to the world. We have called reconciliation a social issue when it really is a gospel issue. And until the church recognizes that reconciliation is a gospel issue, we're not going to be able to solve the ills that, 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 that pain our society. So my calling to you and I, because I'm preaching to the choir, I recognize that y'all ain't the racist people, I know that, I know that, I'm not worried about that. Even if you have a MAGA hat, I'll, I'll, I'll vouch for you, okay. if you have a, a MAGA hat. But we are called to be a people that are reconciled with God and to one another. Because when we are reconciled with God and to one another, the, the world is going to see what true reconciliation looks like. And we're supposed to lead the world and not follow it, Amen. Standing ovation. Well, because things are typed, I'm going to finish, but uh, really, we're done. 
The last thing you'll see here, we are ambassadors of God's diverse and unified kingdom. Uh, we talked about how we were ambassadors week number one. We go and represent the kingdom. Last week, we talked about how that kingdom has an address. It's the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. So it's not just some vague idea. And we've seen tonight from the scripture that that kingdom is diverse and it's unified. It's not just unified or diverse. It's diverse and unified. So a couple of things that we can do. Um, uh, The the first time that my eyes were open to just this a tiny bit of this, I didn't know what to do. And when I felt stuck, I felt frustrated. When I felt frustrated, I looked for reasons why maybe they were wrong and and, and I was right. And so I I wanted to to leave with some things that come from the scripture. Here are some things that we can do. Number one, we can learn and be transformed by the theology of reconciliation, which Shilobi has done such an amazing job. This is, again, this is not a Democrat issue. It's not a Republican issue, and it doesn't matter who you voted for last time. It doesn't matter who you're going to vote for this time. There are lots of things to consider uh, when you go into a, a, a booth and how you see yourself, but what this issue is, it's a theological issue. Yeah. And we see that in Acts chapter 10, when Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, after the resurrection, and ascension is up on top of a roof and he's praying and God gives him this vision where essentially it's now the Gentile people are clean. Uh, as I said, the Bible talks about race and uh, racial issues from beginning to end and the New Testament is no different and God essentially says, hey, I created this, this other people, these non-Jewish people and the gospel is for them and, and, and yet then it took Peter a while to, to work it out. Because as he left Jerusalem to go and preach the gospel, the Apostle Paul tells us in one of his uh, letters that they were um, eating together and Peter didn't have any problem being around the Gentiles. But then some Jewish people from the, the Jerusalem church came and suddenly he needed to switch seats. Right? Amen. He just needed the theology to work itself out. And that's probably where a lot of us are. It's, we read it on the scripture, we hear what Shalobi's saying and it's yes and amen. But then we just got to let it have its work. And Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says that we renew our minds. Uh, and so we want this theology to renew and transform our minds and lives. Number two, we open our eyes to see our neighbors and love them as we love ourselves. Luke chapter 10 is the story of the Good Samaritan. I think we all want to be that Good Samaritan. Most of us are just missing all of our neighbors. And so, God, would you just give me eyes to see? Number two, care deeply and pray that other ethnicities would be reconciled to God. This comes from the Old Testament book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah did not want the people of Nineveh to be saved. He wanted them to perish. And and so we want to do the opposite. We want to start praying for people all around the world, from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation to be saved, to be reconciled to God. And it's funny that when my prayers lead the way, my heart follows. My neighbor right now, he's not here tonight and I don't think he checks out our podcast because he doesn't know it exists. Uh, His truck has been broken down in front of our house for six months and it's super frustrating. But I've been praying for him every day because I don't think that he's a, a follower of Christ. And it's amazing, the more I pray for him, the less I care about that truck. Now, I still care about that truck. <laughs> I just care about it less when I'm praying for it. My heart follows my prayers. And so the more we're praying for all people, 
to come and be reconciled to God, the more we're going to love all people. Number four, watch for God's promptings to share the good news of the kingdom. In Acts chapter 8, Philip, uh, one of the early followers of Jesus, uh, gets a prompting from God to go and stand at a specific uh, place. And, and when he's standing there, a chariot comes by and an Ethiopian just happens to be reading the prophet Isaiah and God says, get on up there. And the Ethiopian ends up putting his faith in Jesus and then being baptized right there. But Philip followed just a random prompting from God. As we have said, God cares about a diverse and unified kingdom. If you and I will give ourselves to obedience, when God prompts us, he will also bring us the diversity. Right? He will bring you people from all tribes, languages, nations, and, and, and people groups. Right? Because he cares about that. So when God prompts you, disobey. And then finally, number five, advocate for justice as a way to love our neighbor as ourselves. When it is in your power to speak up for justice, do it. And why should you do it? Because America needs it? No. You should do it because you're obeying Christ. Because he gave us two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And I'll add a fifth thing, if, if, if you don't mind. I was thinking about this while Chalobi was talking. If you uh, come from a different, um, if you did your heritage DNA and it was from a different part of the world than what mine was, um, you should bring that culture to church with you. As, as you can, bring it with you. Um, on one side of me, Corlicia's over here, she's from South Africa. And she brings her culture with her uh, to work. She's our women's pastor here at Bayou City Spring Branch. And I love it. it. Makes us better. I don't know a ton about South Africa, but they got a lot of sharks. What I do know... <laughs> sharks and snakes. That's where... That's what Corlicia brought with her to the United States. Shark in one hand, snake in the other. No, but when she tells stories about South Africa, it makes me want to go there. I think it's a beautiful thing. And then Darren's over here on my right... And uh, what I love about Darren, Darren's been a member of Bayou City uh, since uh, day one. Uh, Darren dresses up for church. Not as dressed up uh, tonight, tonight but it's because of the five o'clock. But Darren wears a suit a lot to church. And uh, we've never talked about it, but my guess is, is that's the kind of church background he's from, that they got dressed up. Clearly, I was not part of that church culture growing up. But here's what I love. Darren has not stopped dressing up, I assume when he wants to, even though not a ton of people do that here because he's bringing his culture with him. So, you know, when you get together, it's hard to decide what kind of music you're going to have and all of those kinds of things. But when it is in your power to bring your culture with you, Bayou City is a better place when you do. And so no one here is asking you to turn that off when you come to church. And if we are, we apologize for that. That's not uh, in our heart and we want to do better. Um, and, and the reason we want to do better is because unity and diversity, they belong to us. Yes. They don't belong to politicians. They don't belong to... Nonprofits, they belong to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if our kingdom come is unified and diverse, then by God's power, we should be living lives that are unified and diverse here and now. So, let's pray.